Okay, so we've got a long passage there, and so it's it's good to be here speaking with you this morning. It's it's not going to be an easy half an hour for me or for any of us, I think, as we face this passage, because we find ourselves in here in with Jesus face to face with suffering and experiencing that, and and I think we will find that in ourselves as we as we face this passage. So, really, I've got a box of tissues here. They're probably for me, but if anybody wants some help yourselves. If you were here last night and you saw the conjurer on stage, you might think that this is some one-upmanship on the conjurer. It's not. I already had the idea before he came, but um, we'll, we'll come to the door. The door, I hope, will explain and give you a little way to think about what's going on in this passage and what Jesus is, is taking us through. So I so say, it's quite a lot to, uh, to, to, to go this morning, and I'll, so I'll try and go through it, but... Uh, Bear with, it's going, to be, it's going to be challenging. So why am I doing that? Well, I actually volunteered to do this, which is a bit of a surprise. I now sometimes wonder why I volunteered, but there were two reasons when it came up. It was the first that I had been studying early church history of the first sort of 500 years of the church, and it was really, really interesting to see their understanding of death, and particularly their understanding of Jesus' death in relation to our death and the corruption that surrounds that. So, so that's one of the reasons, and I say this door is part of that story. And then the other is, and I'll come back to this, the other is I was traveling with a friend who is a, a palliative care nurse, or had been a palliative care nurse, and I was quite struck about his experience of, of people dying. And, and he said to me, he said, you know, death can be a beautiful thing. And I was quite shocked at the time and stunned, but it really started me thinking. And, and as we look at this subject of death and suffering, and we can start to see it as part of life and to see it as a beautiful thing. So we, we, we will come on to that. So first, in this passage, we see this great confusion about death. There's falling asleep. Jesus is saying he's falling asleep. He said, well, not, he's not really falling asleep. He's died. Well, if he's died, and then we've got Thomas saying, well, let's all die then. And it's just confusion going on in this passage. But maybe you share that confusion. I share that confusion. I look at this and I think, what? are we talking about in terms of death? And it's really, really difficult for us to, to, to sort of work that out. But we're going to try and explore that today. And I'm going to challenge you a few things. I actually might actually just stop and look at this in a little bit of a different way and see if it will help us to do that. So, uh, so let's do that. So to start with, the best place is, is to start. We're going to go, I've got lots of uh, little orange sticky tabs in my Bible today because we're going to go right from the front page to the back page. I'm not going to do every page in between, don't worry. Um, but we need to start. So, so there's a picture there of, of, of the Bible up. And of course, where do we look? Where do we first look for death? We find it in the very beginning. We find it in Genesis 1 to 3. So on the first page, or the, the second page in this Bible here, we've got Genesis 1 and 3. And as I said, so the, the first thing we have is God creates Eden. We see the creation, we see the beauty of Eden created, this wonderful place. Adam and Eve are placed within it. And then as soon as we see that, we see the concept of death introduced. Death is introduced at this point by God explaining that if Adam and Eve eat from the tree of God of good and evil, death will result. And what I want to just challenge at the moment is you may always see that as a penalty. What I suggest at the moment is just take that as a consequence. The description says, if you do this, this will happen. And actually, in in many translations, you'll find actually it says, this will happen on the day you eat it. 
which isn't necessarily in this, in this translation, but it's on a lot of translations. So, so we see this, which is a garden. We see death introduced as a consequence. If you do this, there will be death comes about. And then Satan appears. The snake comes on the scene. He, he deceives Adam and Eve, and the rest, as it says, history. And, of course, then Adam and Eve uh, break the, the prohibition, and the story comes on. So there's a challenge there, and immediately from the commentators, the challenge is, was God right, or was the snake right? Did, on the day, Adam and Eve ate of the apple in the Garden of Eden, did they die? Well, in human terms, no, they didn't, because in human terms, the book carries on. Adam and Eve had children, Adam and Eve had children, and that's the next stage. So, so death doesn't come there. That's, so somebody said, well, hang on, this isn't right, God's not right. So we then look at it again, and we would look at it from... From the idea of separation. Consider death as separation. So we would start to say, okay, so death is separation from God. Yeah, okay, that, that's, that's how we would normally understand it. But actually, as we understand it in that way, we're then still left with a bit of a challenge because this, this book that carries on, the separation from God, on the very next page, Adam and Eve's son, Cain and Abel, Cain is just bitten into his apple. He's just standing the blood of Abel is fresh in the field. And who's first on the scene? God. We carry on. There's corruption covers the earth. Who's first there? It's God. God's saying to Noah, I need you to sort this out. I need help. I need you to build this ark. We carry on. We get into Exodus. Who's there? We've got these sinning people who are moaning and, and groaning. And actually God is leading them with fire and smoke. So we have a bit of a difficulty when we take it simply in that way. And it's problematic in in biblical terms, but actually it's problematic in people's experience terms. I know a lot of people, I'm one of those people, I've found, met God in some of my darkest places. I've met God in some of my most hurting places, in ways that I would never have imagined. So it's a challenge for us in those terms. So we're talking I talked a bit the other day about something about simpler understandings. We make things very complicated in many ways. And part of what I do in my job is, is to try and make complicated sort of technical things simpler for people. I've been in the States this week, and the company I was working with, my idea of simple wasn't the same as their idea of simple, which was a bit of a shock for me, but I'm, I'm having to learn that one. But in this case, we could look and say, okay, so we've got this separation problem, but in simplistic terms, what's going on? What happens to Adam and Eve the day they eat the apple? They are expelled from the garden. Their separation is that from the garden. The consequence of eating the apple is that they are no longer in Eden. And that does happen on the day they do it. And actually, it's a fairly straightforward consequence, because if Eden is Eden then God has to rule it. If the snake's in charge, then it's not Eden. So we have a simple problem that says, actually, this is what's going on. Actually, you can't be in here if this is going to be Eden. And so it is with heaven. We cannot be in heaven with our corruption. So going back to to the early church, and we start to see that. The early church focus was on death, and corruption was the problem. This is what Jesus had to deal with, was our corruption, which meant we could not be in heaven. 
Because heaven's not heaven if we take our corruption to it. And corruption is the term that the, the Bible uses and particularly focused on in those early days. So it becomes a consequence. It becomes a simple consequence. It says, actually, if God doesn't rule, we can't be in God's kingdom where God is ruling. If the snake is in charge. So he comes and says, the early church, he say that corruption, this sin, this thing that we inherit or have, or it comes from, from Adam and that time down, becomes our problem that leads us to our death. So for the early church problem, it wasn't a theological problem. It wasn't a God problem. It was an ontological problem. It is my problem. It's my being that is the problem. And it is my being that Jesus needs to fix. And Jesus has to overcome that. And Jesus has to transform that. So, so right in the middle of this, it's, it's, um, we, we find Jesus comes into this story. And as we heard today, Jesus says... 25, he says, Jesus said to I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus has come right in the middle of this. We've got this death has come into the world. This corruption has led us into, into death, right into the middle of the world. And, and I just, I see a quote there, Philip Yancey is a, is a quote that picks up on this. He talks about this wrong choices lead to painful consequences. So we see actually this chain of events that has led us into this place. And Jesus comes in and says, I can overcome this problem. Uh, and, uh, you know, and as, as this problem that's come into the world, Paul in Romans 5 talks about as sin, as corruption comes into the world through one man, so it leaves through one man, through Jesus. So how, how does it happen? Well, we don't know that in precision ways, but we do know some of the stuff that Paul tells us. And if we go to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 50, and I'll, I'll read it to you. It's on page 1156, if that's good. I'm going to read a slightly different version, but I'm going to say it. Paul says, But I say this, brothers, that flesh and blood is not able to inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruptibility. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable. And we will be changed, for it is necessary for this perishable body to put on incorruptibility, and this mortal body to put on immortality. But wherever the perishable body puts on incorruptibility and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? O where, O death, is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we, so we come back to these bookends. So we find this, we started off with death in Genesis 1, and we, we go through the story, we see God's interaction with a corrupt people throughout, the, throughout life. We see Jesus stepping right into this situation for us. And then when we get to the very last page of this book, in Revelations, in Revelations 20, 21 and 22, we see the reverse happened. We see Satan defeated. 
who came into the garden. We see Satan defeated. We see death destroyed. And the, the words are there, Hades and death is destroyed. And then we see the beauty of a new heaven and a new earth. And they're like bookends. And we live in between. We live in between those two bookends with this problem that Jesus comes to save us from, this, this ontological problem as I described it. So this is where the door comes in. So, so we come in and say, okay, so what is going on? Jesus says, even though you die, you will not die. But actually, when he's in the early church, the best person described it to me. He said, well, it's like dying is a door. We're all going to pass through this door. But actually, when we get through it, we're going to realize that death is not on the other side. Because Jesus has done what Jesus has done, such that we can participate in the heavenly realms. And it's an amazing story. So that, so that door is just a way to think about, actually, yes, dying is a human thing, but the other side, death, does not exist. So we come and start to see, actually, death as a beautiful thing. It's part of my journey to that new heaven and new earth. But that's not the end of the story, and we're going to come back to that again a, a, a bit later. So we, we start to see, actually, how this death stacks up in the Bible and how it looks and how we sit within that placement of it. So... I then just want to pick up on, on, on one verse in here, which is the shortest verse. We've got quite a long passage, but we've got the shortest verse in the Bible in this book. It's two words in ours. It's three in Greek. It's Jesus wept. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, there's great dispute about this. If you start to look at commentators, they'll, they'll debate as to what's going on. Jesus, because we know Jesus knows what's going to happen. So people say, oh, well, Jesus knew what was going to happen, so he's not going to cry because he's not really crying because actually he knows what's going to happen. But there's a lot of people actually who challenge that and say, no, Jesus finds himself in a place that he starts to see. Not that he doesn't know see it, but he feels and experiences the place he's at in terms of this suffering and this death that the world has come into the world and the, and the world is, is situating in. And, and so the people in, in the verse, the people are, are, are mourning. They're using a, a, a Greek word, I can't even say it, but kleio is, is, a, is, a, is a Greek word for wailing. They're wailing and mourning. But Jesus is using a word that is used, I think, only once in the New Testament. Uh, and that's dakruo. He's deep, deep mourning. It's inside of him that says, this is wrong. And one of the commentators described it as, Move with indignation against the anomaly of death. Jesus is there and he's saying, this isn't right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. It doesn't need to be explained away as to why Jesus is weeping. He's in experience. Do we experience that? Are we between those places? We are between those places. He's weeping. I believe he's weeping for the brokenness of the world that's taken his beloved friend's life. And he finds himself in that. And he says, it's wrong. We shouldn't be here. And we see it again in Jesus. We see it in Gethsemane when the world that he so loved is just about to crucify him. 
we see that same deep brokenness in our heart. It's simply not right, and Jesus weeps. It's not the way God wanted it to be. And we find ourselves in that world. We find ourselves in that world and we have to face up to the fact that we are in that world. But do we weep as Jesus weeps? We all see suffering. We see suffering in our own lives. We see loved ones die. We see things that shouldn't be. Whatever it is, you know, it's... You know, maybe you're a man, you think you don't cry. Jesus is a man, he cries. And I think he calls us to cry. Maybe you were here a few weeks ago in the most beautiful service I think I've seen in this church where four young ladies were baptized. Did you weep? I wept. Because I got a glimpse of some of the brokenness of this world that shouldn't be like that. It hurts. And not only does it hurt us, it hurts Jesus. And I had a really profound moment in an aeroplane a week ago as I said I've been in the States and as I was praying about this I suddenly realised that God was crying first God was crying first I wasn't joining me in my tears he was crying first because of this broken world this beauty that he creates is in the place it is in I just didn't see it so wherever you are Right now, wherever it might be, let it out. Lament. That friend I talked about, who who, who was a passive nurse, he's studying lament in the New Testament. Because actually he really believes it's there and Jesus is actually lamenting. He is weeping for the brokenness of the world. So whatever you are, wherever you feel, whether you've seen your children suffer, whether you've seen the brokenness of mental illness, whether you've seen personal suffering, physical suffering you've watched marriages break up you've watched addictions you've watched destructive behaviours these are crushing things in the world and Jesus weeps for them so we're just going to spend a bit of time we're just going to have a song just spend some time on that and then I'm going to come back and just take us on in this journey Father God, we do thank you that you call from that deep to our deep and darkest places, that you are there in those deep and darkest places, that you'd go all the way down to the grave for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are there. I'm going to, going to move us on now. I appreciate that's not enough time for some of us to deal with the things that we need to deal with, the things that we need to bring to find ourselves in the presence of God with and say, that actually, this isn't right. And do that. Go home and do it. Just whatever it takes. If it takes to set yourself in your bedroom and do it, do it. 
Because we need to do it. We need to let it out. That sometimes we hold it in. And sometimes we need to actually let it out. And we need to let Jesus help us with it. In a way that hurts on the outside. But it's right in the end. And so, so there's, there's not the time here. But I need to keep traveling on. Because this story is not the end. We haven't got to the end of this story. But if you, if you need to do more on it. And I was actually talk about, I received a leaflet the other day about something that's happening at Central Hall um, on the 6th of May, which is, is an Old Testament uh, scholars talking about suffering with the book of Job. I've got a few leaflets. If you, if you want to explore this more, then I encourage you to, to push into that and to push into Jesus for the brokenness that we see, the brokenness that we experience, and bring it before him. But as I say, it's not the end of the story. And in this passage, it's not the end of the story. Jesus weeps. Jesus is there with his friends who are mourning the death of Lazarus. They're mourning this anomaly that shouldn't be there. And Jesus gets up and he says, this isn't, this isn't good enough. He says, Father in heaven, I know you hear me. He wants to bring Lazarus back. And he, and he uses the words, our, our Bible's in here, we, we have the words, unties, uh, remove the grave clothes. The original actually is, is, is quite striking because he uses a luo, which is to release, to unbind. It's in a way, and Jesus says, remove the stone and Lazarus come out. Unbind him. It's not a coincidence that Satan appears in these stories at the beginning and the end. They bind these people up. So Jesus says, actually, there's a time now. There's a, there's a time. And I just, it's here. But just this, this, this idea of death lying, not lying beyond the door is, 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 is one thing. But there's, there's more to it. And Jesus says, come out. Now, I used to wait the other side of that door. I want you to come out now. And I just, I was really struck in preparing for this. When I looked, I quite often listened to a speech by, by Martin Luther King on uh, the 3rd of April 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee. He was assassinated the very next day. And this speech is absolutely remarkable that he made. Because he says... Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Long levity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountaintop. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. Martin Luther is standing there and he's saying, I know death is not behind that door. So it doesn't matter what happens to me right now. But I've read that, I've had that speech a number of times and I've always thought, when he talks about the promised land, I've got this picture of him looking through into heaven and he's seen his promised land. But then it suddenly occurred to me, it's actually not what he's talking about. Because he then says, his next verse is, I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people, we will get to the promised land. 
And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And it occurred to me that I think Martin Luther's got this door back on its hinges. And he's saying, death's not in there. But what he's then seeing over there is the light of Christ shining into this world. The light of Christ shining into this place. And he can see his black men and women, his brothers and sisters and their children, free from the slavery to which they're bound. He can see them unbound in this world as well as knowing that they are unbound in that world. And he lets that light shine through. And I think that's what Jesus does in this story. He actually says, come out. There's light here now. As he talks earlier, I am the light. You walk in the light and the daylight and let this light shine through. The bookends are not the end of the story. We can change the middle of the story with the power of Jesus. We can bring healing. We can ask for that light to shine into our life, that light to shine into our darkness. So when we mourn those places, the brokenness, we can't always explain it. But we know two things. We know it is defeated. Death is defeated. Death is no more. There is no sting of sin in terms of death the light shines out and we open that door and we let the light shine out into this world and we see this world different it's complex it's really difficult to grasp but if we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life if he is the light of the world then that is what he offers us and I pray that we would take it so I just want to finish this in prayer and then we're going to sing some more songs. And, and some of you may not be up for singing these songs right now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Keep a hold of the promise and sing those songs when you're ready to sing those songs. But in the meantime, weep with Jesus if that's what needs to be done. But don't ever lose sight of the promise. So Father God, we thank you that you do indeed hear us. As you heard Jesus, you hear us. And we pray that we bring you this broken world that we're in. We bring you this hurting. I bring each individual one of us now that we bring the scars that we bear, the pains that we carry, the mourning that we have. And Lord, we thank you that you weep with us. You weep for us. You are in that deep place with us but that you are the resurrection, you are the light, you are the life. Our Lord, we claim that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.